Migraine Canada presents Migraine Talks with Dr. Elizabeth Leroux. A podcast to learn, share, and live better. Please remember, the content of this podcast does not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Discuss all decisions regarding your care and treatment options with your healthcare provider. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Elizabeth LaRue, neurologist in Montreal, and your host for this podcast on acute migraine management, advanced options. In today's podcast, we will discuss some more advanced treatments for migraine attacks. So if you are struggling with nasty attacks, if you have tried a lot of medications, well, this podcast is for you. If you are starting on your journey, Uh, and you haven't tried a lot of things yet, well, maybe listen to our podcast on basic tips for acute migraine medications. In today's podcast, we will talk about the types of migraine attacks that are particularly nasty and strategies to deal with them. We'll also say a few words about visits to the emergency department, by no means a fun experience most of the time, and the use of opioids. Let's start by listening to Karen as she tells us about how difficult it is to deal with severe attacks. I'm so tired of those crazy attacks, especially the ones I wake up with. I feel sick. I throw up. It keeps going for days. Last week, I ended up in the emergency department. After hours of waiting, I got IV meds that helped. But what will happen next time? My partner says it's not a life. I kind of agree, but what can I do? My doctor gave me pills to try, but they don't stay down long enough to do anything. Gravel makes me groggy. What should I do next? I see a lot of migraine patients, and I listen to their stories as they tell me how their attacks look like. I wanted to describe four types of bad attacks that are frequently seen in a migraine or headache specialty practice. They are menstrual migraines, attacks with nausea and vomiting, nocturnal attacks, and prolonged and frequent attacks that are mixed with chronic migraine. Menstrual migraine is usually defined as an attack that happens two days before up to three days after the first day of menstrual bleeding. So there is a definition for it, and it's important to remind because some of my patients tend to see their menstrual period as one week before, one week during, and one week after. And that's a bit of a scope that is a bit too wide to define menstrual migraine. Menstrual migraine is really related to this week or these five days around the start of the bleeding. And what causes these? Well, during the period, estrogen actually uh, drops, And this drop in estrogen levels in the blood is a very strong trigger for uh, migraines. Two-thirds of women will declare that their period has some link with their migraine attacks, but not all women do. Another thing that can influence migraine during the menstrual period uh, is just pain, you know, cramps, uh, difficulty sleeping, bloating, inflammation, and that can kind of trigger a migraine state. Some researchers also think that the depletion of magnesium and iron can play a role. 
So these attacks are notoriously difficult to treat and they are more likely to recur even if they respond initially to treatment. The second type of bad migraines are the ones with prominent nausea and even vomiting. Not everyone with migraine has nausea and vomiting. Some people actually deny having any of it and their migraine symptoms are more about sensitivity to light or smells uh, or sounds uh, or brain fog or neck pain. But for some people, nausea and vomiting are a real issue because they just cannot take any oral uh, medications or pills, you know, or they just throw them up as soon as they're in. Um, interestingly, I wanted to share that some people actually find relief in uh, after they vomit or after they throw up and they say that they won't take pills uh, for to control nausea because this vomiting switches something in their brains that seems to bring them relief so if you're like that you're not crazy <laughs> that's that seems to happen and we don't know exactly why but for a lot of people with nausea and vomiting this actually makes the treatment more complicated and in addition, if you have this over days, of course, then you can kind of not eat and you get dehydrated. And some people like this need to go to the eMERGE, even just to get rehydration. Another bad, nasty type of attack are the nocturnal attacks. So the attacks that you wake up with uh, can be in the middle of the night or it can be just early morning before you're about to wake up and then you wake up with a migraine. These attacks are actually more frequent as we age. It's quite rare to hear about these in uh, people in their 20s or 30s. But as people go to their 40s and 50s, the sleep architecture or the, the processes of sleep in our brains change a little bit. And it looks like uh, nocturnal migraines occur more frequently uh, in this age range. And that's tough because, you know, you cannot really apply the treat early principle if you wake up with a full-blown attack. And that's where speedy options for treatment are required. The reasons for nocturnal attacks are not completely well understood. I will say that um, usually we think about sleep apnea. Uh, we can also think about neck posture during sleep. Fasting, like having eaten a little bit too much before sleeping or too long before going to bed. Uh, for people who overuse also medications, we think there's a bit of mini withdrawal during sleep, or bruxism, people who clench their teeth. So there's a lot happening during sleep that can actually trigger a migraine. It might be very diverse between, uh, between different people. The last type of situation I wanted to talk about are attacks, I call them blocks. You know, like these attacks in doctor language, we say status migranosis because it's in Latin, so it sounds cooler, but I call them blocks. So attacks that last longer than three days. And these can go for, I have patients who bring me diaries with seven to 10 days of nonstop migraine attacks. These are really tough. Um, and we sometimes see this in patients with chronic migraine who have more than 15 days per month of attacks. And another situation I see is where there's always, they're never headache free, right? So they, they have a little headache, then a full-blown attack, they, they recover. And um, in this type of situation, it becomes very difficult to control the attack because it, it kind of never stops, never starts. It's all mingled between tiny headaches, bigger headaches, moderate headaches, trying to sleep and so on. And in this population, of course, in this group of people, medication overuse is, is much of an issue.
We discussed those difficult types of attacks and, and maybe you recognize yourself in one of many of these. Um, and these are these are absolutely not rare, right? I hear about these types of attacks like every week in my clinic. So don't feel don't feel alone. This is this is just part of the migraine spectrum. But how can we actually deal with these? What type of strategies can we take? So I want to present two strategies. One is about bypassing the gut. And the second is using preventives. And I want also to say a few words about emergency visits in opioids. So let's start by bypassing the gut. What do I mean by that? The gut, by gut, I mean the stomach, the intestines, and the colon. And during a migraine attack, usually the uh, digestive tube gets very quiet. Usually it dances and moves around, you know, it just pushes the food down and it's smooth. But during a migraine, everything stops. Um, and it, it actually impairs the absorption of the pills that we take. So when we take a pill, it has to go to our stomach and then to our intestine, then it gets absorbed and it gets in the bloodstream. And in the end, it eventually makes it to the brain to exert uh, the action. So having a gut that is slow and, and where medications just get stuck and never make it to their actual targets is a problem. So how can we target that? We have three ways to bypass the gut. Sprays or nasal sprays, suppositories and injections and i'll tell you a little bit on how and why they actually can work for you nasal sprays uh, are pushed inside the nose and the product gets near the veins at the back of the nose so that's that's how they actually enter the bloodstream suppositories are uh, absorbed in the veins of the rectum and that can be also extremely effective of course, a lot of people feel a bit uncomfortable with suppositories for different reasons, but they are an option that you could decide to try. Injections, obviously, you just inject that under the skin, which we call sub-Q or subcutaneous. That's what you hear, you know, in the medical series, like Grey's Anatomy, one of my favorites. Um, and you say, oh, give him sub-Q heparin. Um, so injections can obviously work and yes you can do this at home and you can learn it i have a fear of needles so i totally understand that people would hate injections but i've seen patients learning them and finding relief so we have a lot of these options and i'll give you some examples for nasal sprays um, we have sumatriptan and zolmitriptan uh, may come as a nasal sprays to my knowledge there are no anti-inflammatories as sprays the suppositories, we have a lot of anti-inflammatories, uh, like for example, aspirin, naproxen, indomethacin, and also the uh, nausea drugs can come as suppositories. For injections, we have a triptan, sumatriptan, and we have an anti-inflammatory, which is ketorolac or toradol. As always, my friends, when I discuss medical options, always always discuss this with your healthcare provider. I'm just presenting existing options. They might not apply to you. Uh, and remember, this uh, podcast wants to help, but it's not medical advice. Another thing I want to share is that, of course, if you have bad, nasty attacks, you can use the treat early principle and the special forms actually help you to get the drug faster into your bloodstream. Uh, but you still have to use them as early as possible. 
you can also use the combination principle. So I have patients who used to go to the emergency department, they were very sick, and for them, the only way was to combine, I'll give an example, you know, uh, an injectable anti-inflammatory with a tryptan nasal spray with some drugs to treat nausea. And talking about nausea and vomiting, well, sometimes, you know, using drugs to address that can be helpful. Um, there are many options, including the famous gravel, uh, ginger can help some people, and there are a bunch of other things uh, that can be used that you could discuss with your healthcare provider. So if you have nausea and vomiting, you can definitely do a, what I call a triple combo, which is anti-inflammatory, triptan, and a drug for uh, the control of nausea. Using options to bypass the gut is a very, very helpful therapy. But sometimes, when the frequency is very high or the attacks are extremely severe, one interesting approach is to use a preventive. So preventives are uh, treatments that are taken on a regular basis um, or nowadays with antibodies as injectables, but they still stay in the system uh, over weeks and months to protect your brain and make it less prone to the migraine attacks. That's how preventives work. So they, they modify the brain chemistry. So the brain kind of has a higher threshold and uh, is more resistant to different triggers. So the frequency of attacks actually gets um, lower. But in addition to lowering the attack frequency, the preventives might also decrease the attack severity. So that big storm we're talking about, you know, when in our first podcast on acute therapy, um, it gets a little bit less strong, less powerful, and therefore uh, easier to control with medications. So sometimes people come back to me after they've started a preventive and they say, okay, I have a bit less attacks, but that's great. You know, I didn't throw up for the last three months. I didn't go to the eMERGE for the last three months and my attacks are easier to control. So I used to take this tryptan, which did nothing. And now I take it and it works. And for me, all these are signs that the migraine disease is getting more under control. And that can make a significant difference actually. So if you have a lot of attacks, frequent attacks, difficult attacks, if you have chronic migraine or frequent migraine, you should definitely consider discuss discussing a preventive to improve the effectiveness of your acute therapy. When should you consider that? Well, some people, you know, there's no rule. Everybody's different. Um, it's usually agreed that people with four to six days of migraine per month do not really need therapy for prevention unless their attacks are very disabling. And then there's this zone between seven to 10 days and then therapy like prevention should be discussed. And then when you go over this kind of 8, 10, 12 days per month, that's where you're in this kind of at-risk zone for chronification and overuse. And you should definitely discuss therapy. And every person with chronic migraine should receive a preventive. So migraine is a neurological disease. And even if you try a lot of options, even if you have, you know, uh, options to bypass the gut and you're taking preventives, some attacks are just too strong, too powerful. 
and they cannot be broken. And that's when you have to go to the emergency department. If you've been there, you know that's definitely not a fun trip. Um, The emergency department is a loud place, a busy place, and it is a place where people with migraine are not always well received. You know, when you think about it, a lot of emergency docs deal with life and death issues and they will maybe not consider migraines as a very serious problem. But nevertheless, you know, after a few days where you cannot eat, you cannot drink, uh, you cannot sleep, you're in pain, you're missing work, uh, what can you do? So it is legitimate to go to the emergency department because the one thing they can do for you is to administer intravenous therapy or IV. Uh, The other thing they can do is to make sure that what is going on is indeed a migraine and not some other reason to have a bad headache. And that's very important. But we all know that when you know it's a bad migraine and it's a bad migraine, what you need is effective therapy. So how to prepare for that? I will not comment on the different protocols in the eMERGE. That would be for another podcast, but just a few tips. And if, if, you, if you've been to the eMERGE, you probably know this, but I'll just for those of you who might wonder, um, prepare. You know you are likely to wait. So, you know, get comfy, have a little snack, some bo- a bottle of water if you can take it, have your medications, earbuds, whatever, glasses, whatever makes you feel better. It's not a bad idea to have a little summary of your health to make the questionnaire with the emergency doc or nurse easier. Um, and say what you've taken already and bring a list of your meds. If you do receive IV medications that work, you know, ask what they were for next time, if there's a next time. And if you do have a bad reaction to a drug, also make sure you know which drug that was, if possible. So for the future, you can actually go back and say, well, I'll receive this and it caused that reaction. That can be extremely helpful. So overall, of course, our goal is to stay away from the emergency department, but sometimes it's just the place you have to go and the better prepared you are, the best it will be. Before we end this podcast, because we're talking about difficult attacks and difficult situations, I have to say a few words about opioids. Um, Opioids are things like morphine, uh, demerol or meperidine, hydromorphone or dilaudid, our famous codeine, which is actually in our uh, combined analgesics. And um, it's been around for, you know, years and years. Opioids have been part of medical therapy. And you're not without knowing that due to the epidemic of opioids in North America, there have been a rise in deaths and addiction rates and all kinds of complications of these drugs that are uh, powerful, helpful, but taken on a regular basis can actually lead to a lot of issues. So why are doctors actually very reluctant to prescribe opioids for migraine? It's because we know that the migraine brain reacts very poorly to opioids and um, they are a key risk factors for chronification and medication overuse headache. So that's why the key rules for opioids are not to use them or never to use them as a first-line option. A good rule of thumb is that a GP should never prescribe opioids for migraine uh, unless this GP has a special expertise in headache. 
if you are at that point taking opioids for migraine, you should discuss with a headache specialist who can be a GP, but not um, a general GP. There are no absolute rules in medicine. So are there people who can be helped by opioids and who can take them safely? Yes, but they are usually exceptions to the rule. And so be very careful. And before you start taking opioids, make sure you discuss with someone who has expertise in headache medicine to see if this is really your best option. And then before we end, I wanted to say a few words about research because um, I presented you all those options, but we have to be very honest and transparent. There are people who do not respond to triptans. You know, we call them triptan non-responders. Um, they try a lot of them and still, you know, their bodies, their brains are just not wired this way. And some people cannot use anti-inflammatories for medical reasons. Uh, for example, people with um, bowel disorder like Crohn's disease cannot use NSAIDs. And people with vascular problems or heart disease cannot use triptans. So what do we do for these people? You know, so if you still have bad migraine attacks and out there, you know, some people have refractory chronic migraine, things are not under control. So current options are not enough. So what's the way forward? What's the way to progress? Well, of course, it's research and research is going on. So if there's one thing that is really encouraging in the migraine world for the last whatever, 10 years, 15, 20, maybe, especially the last 10 years, um, it's that there's been more research in migraine. And so there are new options coming. You might have heard about them. Uh, the G-Pants, uh, the Dylans, neurostimulation devices. And a lot of these treatments appear in the United States before they come to Canada for different reasons. So you might have heard about Lasmiditan, which is Rayvow, Ubrolgepant, which is Ubrelvi, and all those medications should make it to Canada uh, eventually. And if our podcasts are there may, uh, for a while, maybe they're actually uh, available now. Um, so those are options that should bring you some hope. And uh, the key is in research. So I, I wanted to underline the importance of this for all of you out there who are not relieved by available medications. So nevertheless, I hope this podcast was helpful to you, that you found it interesting, you learned a few tips, and I really wish that you find relief with your healthcare provider and that you don't have to go to the emergency department anymore. Until our next podcast, this is Dr. Elizabeth LaRue, and I wish you to be well. Migraine Canada is a not-for-profit organization. We improve the lives of Canadians affected by migraine and other headache disorders through awareness, support, education, advocacy, and research. This podcast does not replace a medical advice. Always consult your treating healthcare provider to make any medical decision. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, listen to the 11 others from our 2021 series available on your favorite platform. Remember that you'll find plenty of additional information on MigraineCanada.org. Is there a topic you'd like to hear about in the future? If you have suggestions or feel like sharing your thoughts, please email us at info at MigraineCanada.org and don't forget to check our website. We'd love to hear from you. 